This week on the Sport Blokes. This week, Nathan's a sad boy as the Cats smash the Swans to win the AFL flag. Yes. Ima Yudoka's been a very naughty boy. And part one in our incredibly delayed NBL preview. Can't wait. Let's go. Yeah, it's 8.39 on Thursday, the 29th of September. I'm in mourning a little bit after the grand final, but we'll get there. How you doing, Stewie? Well, look, certainly a lot better than you because my season was over a long, long, long time ago. So, yeah, no uh, no real hangovers from the grand final from me. But, look, could have been worse. You could have missed out altogether. Well, that's right. It's uh, no shame losing to a team on a 16-game winning streak who mm-hmm. finished two games ahead on top of the ladder. And we will get there briefly, albeit with a more of a basketball-focused show again today. But as we do at the top most weeks, what caught your attention? What'd you miss? Well, a few American football notes at the top for me. We won't really have enough time to talk about it today in the footy codes because obviously, as you mentioned, there's a lot of basketball. So firstly, I spoke last episode about some of those big name schools paying big money to slightly lesser schools, presumably to take a whooping and it kind of backfiring on them. Well, it happened again this weekend. I don't know if you saw this. (laughs) Yes, the trend continues. Yeah, the University of Miami paid the Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders $1.5 million to play them in Miami, and the Blue Raiders got up and bloody beat them 45 to 31. The only bigger disappointment is that you didn't say it like Dr. Evil. (laughs) (laughs) 1.5 million. See, much better, much better. It it is much better. That's very, very true. So quarterback Chase Cunningham, now how much of a Tennessee-sounding name is that to start with? (laughs) He, he was brilliant. 408 yards, three passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown himself as well. And Middle Tennessee's first victory over an AP-ranked team in the history of their program. Wow. Impressive. So really, really big day for the Blue Raiders. I did also see the NFL's finally doing away with the Pro Bowl. Instead, they're going to this week-long skills competition and flag football game. Yeah, so, well, look, the skills competition I'm not interested in, just like I'm not interested in the NBA skills competition particularly. But flag football is actually an interesting... Well, what what do you think about the flag football? Well, I mean, the issue, I guess, with the Pro Bowl that I kind of understood was that it was a concern around the lack of effort that people put in. And I know flag football is kind of different. People are still going to put the effort in. But, like, the whole idea is that no one's going to try because no one wants to get hurt. Yeah, so I think it is. I think it's about blocking and tackling. I think it's worth a try. I think it could be interesting. Potentially, people might put in a little bit more effort with flag football, provided that it doesn't get too physical. So I do think it's worth a try. See, I actually am more interested in things like the skills competitions. And yeah, we always talk about the three point contest being the best part of All Star Weekend at the NBA. And I would love to see things like the long throw comp. I know they used to do that a while back with the quarterbacks where it's literally just step up and throw it as far as you can. You could have a longest field goal. We've had a few really long field goals in recent time in the NFL. So there could be some really fun ones there. Yeah, look, there's certainly opportunities and options, aren't there? Just something I probably wouldn't sit through, but I'd certainly watch the highlights. Yeah, and I I guess the only problem is that those two obviously are very niche. They're very much just quarterback and kicker only. So I guess what do you do with all the other guys? The defensive linemen kind of miss out and all of that sort of stuff. But look, I guess the NFL had to try something. The interest in the Pro Bowl has probably been on the decline for God knows how many years now. So yeah, you're right. They've got to try something. Can't be weirder than that Major League Soccer Goalie Wars competition that you showed me last week. What a fucking oh, joke that is. <laughs> an embarrassment to sport, quite frankly. But 
they've always done it a little bit differently in the soccer, the old Americans. The last little thing I did want to just mention as well, crazy, crazy stat three weeks in, Lamar Jackson currently has more touchdowns, so 10 passing and two rushing, than every other entire team in the NFL, except for the Detroit Lions, who also have 12. Yes, well, he's playing for a contract. Playing for an MVP right now. Yeah, well, that too, yeah. He's playing for a lot of things. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Did you see that Carson Wentz is uh, maybe didn't have as good a weekend? I told you. Yeah, I saw. I saw <laughs> he dropped coming. off the top five. I didn't see how far he dropped, but yeah, no surprises there. <laughs> and and Mike Colts had a really good win. So we had a public holiday here for the what was previously the Queen's birthday, but the now King's birthday. Uh, so I got to stay up till about four thirty watching the Colts beat the Kansas City Chiefs. So we're one one and one which can't be a record that's happened too many times in league history, I wouldn't imagine. Yeah, you wouldn't have thought so, no. This is where we need, I guess, whatever the NFL version of Swampy is. Yes, exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's not a scorigami, but... Yeah, I actually thought there was there was an 11-10 result. I thought that might have been a scorigami, but that one had happened one more time, I think 2008 or something like that. So, yeah, yeah I, I got a... excited. I was... <laughs> Straight to the scorigami. That was the uh... Denver game, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, yes. not, not too exciting, yeah. the Sunday night game. Yeah. No, pretty uh, pretty damn ugly. I'll tell you what, though, the way the Jags have started, our loss to them last week doesn't look quite as bad as it as it uh, did at the time. So maybe they're a better team than many thought. They just needed to get rid of Urban Meyer. Yeah, well, how about yourself, mate? Well, how can I start anywhere other than the viral marketing campaign for the horror movie Smile? Have you seen this? No, I've got no idea what you're talking about. Oh, okay. So there's this new movie called Smile. In fact, I think it came out here in Australia today where basically people have these big creepy smiles on their face. And so they've been buying tickets behind the batter at the Major League Baseball game. So, for example, there was a Mets and Oakland Athletics game where just these people just stand up with creepy smiles. (laughs) It's fantastic. I did see that. Yes, I know what you're talking about now. There was a guy at one of the games who didn't move for like 45 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting because some people are like, oh, what a stupid. It's like, are you kidding? It's not stupid at all. It wouldn't have cost them much at all. And it's got them so much promotion. So it's actually really canny. Yeah, that is clever. Alexander Bublik had a brain explosion at the Moselle Open. Don't know if you saw that one. No, I didn't see that one either. Uh, he decided to turn his racket around and try and hit a smash with his handle. <laughs> at a pretty important time too, just quietly. Yeah, right. So God, I don't know what the hell he was thinking then. Yeah, that's not easy to do. Well, he didn't do it well. Norwegian chess grandmaster Magnus Carlsen withdrew from a virtual match against American grandmaster Hans Niemann after just one move, citing a history of cheating. That might be a story we come back to in the future. Yeah, I wonder if there's any sort of symbolism in the fact that he moved whatever the horse thing's called. The knight. Yeah, which makes sense considering the knight would be on the horse and there's no knight on the horse in the piece. Anyway, me and chess pieces don't really uh, get along too well. But yeah, it's just weird. I don't know whether there was maybe something in that. He's literally just moved the knight and then basically got up and left the room. You've reminded me of that episode of Bottom Culture where they play chess, but they have to substitute all the pieces for all these different different things. So they, they actually use prawns for pawns. Oh, nice. <laughs> Is that that's just because they don't have much money, obviously? They, they Well, they have a set with only six pieces in it because Eddie's sold it oh. for booze. <laughs> <laughs> uh, great show. Worth checking out. Bit obscure reference, but better than the young ones. And then finally, Tom Hardy of Peaky Blinders, Venom and Mad Max Fury Road fame, among others, recently won a jiu-jitsu event he secretly entered in Milton Keynes. 
absolutely insane it really is he's probably one of the few actors out of that that really isn't involved in well he's involved in some of the fight scenes but you would probably be more expecting his brother in the the actual show he's sort of the guy who really gets more involved in swinging fists and knocking people out all that sort of stuff haven't actually seen it, but we do plan on getting to it eventually. Very, very good show. Uh, but for those interested, apparently he got into the martial art when filming for the movie Warrior and never looked back. So there you go. There you go. How's this? Some quotes from the event sponsor, Sean Rosperer. He was brilliant. A lot of people were asking for photos and coming up to him, and he had no problem with that at all. The mums were all over him. It didn't bother him. <laughs> probably used to it to be honest good looking <laughs> yeah. fella yeah. I guess when you're in your mid 40s you might get as much attention from the mums as anyone else yeah well mind you if you're in your mid 40s you probably take as much of it as you can while you still get it <laughs> what'd you miss mate well, I dare say it's probably going to be the exact same thing as you. Uh, we've just before hitting record had a quick look and seen the result in the Opals game in the World Cup over, over in Sydney and pretty uh, pretty decent result but we obviously haven't had a chance to see any of that yet yeah, that's right. I had to have dinner before we recorded and, and well, didn't get home till after six anyway, so it might have even started by then. So, yeah, I missed that one as well. But I have kept an eye on it and we, we will talk about that a little bit more later on. Well, no, let's just rip the Band-Aid off this one nice and quickly. <laughs> we yes. might have slightly got this one wrong. Not so much the result. We both had Geelong winning the grand final, but I believe I said the Swans don't often get blown out. And uh, unfortunately for your mob, an 81-point drubbing at the hands of an absolute juggernaut. We did mention the importance of a good first quarter. I did say the Swans couldn't afford a five-goal to one first quarter, and unfortunately six goals to one is even worse. But uh, look, what an amazing team Geelong has been all season. As you said earlier, no shame in losing to them at all. Just, yeah, utter carnage. Well, and also, uh, unfortunately, as as I suspected, the Sam Reid thing didn't work out too well either. So, yeah. No, so it didn't. So it was interesting. We went and watched at a mate's place and and had a barbecue and whatnot. And and on my drive there, I just didn't feel excited at all. Hey, I just, I don't know. I had a bit of a sense of foreboding and, and uh, well, turned out to be accurate in the end. I, I didn't think that our pressure was too bad i thought i thought we did defend and and tackled and pressed a little bit in the first quarter but just our skills were off and we just couldn't hold the ball so geelong just dominated possession and just as you say got out to that early lead and there's just no looking back was there really i think the pressure was maybe slightly down i mean look the tackles were still there a lot of guys putting up big numbers but yeah, you're right. The skills certainly wasn't the silky smooth sort of stuff you would expect from a lot of the Swans players. And I guess the thing is like Geelong just dominated from the stoppages and not so much the numbers. Because if you look at the clearances, the Swans actually won that 37 to 33. But I saw the craziest stat about this. After those 33 clearances, the Cats lost possession just once. Wow. Yeah. Whereas you compare that to the Swans, they turned it over on 17 of their 37 clearances. And look, that leads to a 65-15 scoreline from clearances. That's a huge part of the game, basically, one there. Absolutely. And then I guess you couple that with a couple of other big stats. Inside 50 counts, 65-32. 17 marks inside 50-4. to It's going to be hard to win any game of footy with those numbers. Do we only have four inside 50 marks? Correct. Wow. Wow. Well, they doubled they doubled you up in the marks, 124 to 62. Well, they the just controlled possession, didn't they? But the inside okay. 50s, wow. Yeah, the, the the one shining light for the Swannies was Chad Warner. He was absolutely fantastic. Basically had his best game ever when you look at the stats, the 
player ratings. He he was just brilliant. And I guess in my older age, I can handle the loss a bit better than I might have when I was 20 or even 30. But yeah, I think Geelong were trending very old and we saw the the <laughs> oldest team ever, actually. And we saw the Mad Monday antics where they all dressed up as old fellas and brought out the Zimmer frames and that. Yeah, how was how was Isaac Smith falling out of the bloody bus? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. And did you see there are a few people that were pissed off about it and thought it was insensitive and stuff? It's like, must we get outraged over everything? Like, really? Yeah. They're having but, fun. I, I appreciate that. I thought yeah, it was I, I mean, yeah. So realistically, it was probably the closing of the window for Geelong, whereas for the Swannies, they got there earlier than people would have expected. So maybe it's a bit of heartbreak and there was a pretty moving Callum Mills uh, interview where he, he really struggled after the game. So, look, maybe maybe that's the heartbreak the Swannies need to hopefully be a premiership team in the next few seasons. It's so interesting you say that because I've actually written here, it still feels like the Swans were ahead of where they probably should be. So, yeah, an absolutely magnificent season from them. They performed well against the best sides in the competition. Yes, they shit the bed on the biggest stage. Uh, Maybe it was a little bit of stage fright. Maybe it was poor planning. Bit of both. I don't know. You you mentioned the Sam Reid thing. The Sam Reid thing was huge. Yeah, it was huge. He, He could barely move. It was clearly the wrong decision immediately. Both the McCartan boys were really quite poor, unfortunately. They picked the worst time to have their worst games of the season when they've been very good down back all season. And, yeah, it it just it was what it was. Yeah, look, they'll be better for the run. They've already been installed as equal favourites with Geelong for next year's flag. So I think it's still a very, very good experience for the Swans. Obviously, sometimes you do have to go through that heartbreak to kind of really appreciate what it's all about. And, yeah, look, they'll come back great. Surprising that Geelong are equal favourites given Selwood's retiring and it looked like Hawkins, based on his emotion, might call it quits too in the not-too-distant future. Also, Isaac Smith, who, by the way, Norm Smith medal with two different teams, fantastic effort by him. We do just have to quickly acknowledge him. So 32 disposals, 12 marks, 772 metres gained, 14 score involvements, including 11 inside 50s, five clearances, three goals won. I mean, absolutely magnificent. I know you love this, Nate. Mitch Duncan had a triple-double. (laughs) <laughs> 16 oh, kicks dear. 11 hand passes 13 marks and speaking of marks mark blitzers nearly yeah. had a quadruple double nine <laughs> kicks 14 hand passes eight tackles and 15 hit outs so yeah that, look they were great all over the park tyson stengel four goals tom hawkins three four couple for brad close and jeremy cameron um can we quickly pause as well by the way how much fun was it watching his adventures afterwards the medallion on the cow for example Oh, mate, that was classic. (laughs) He's had a good couple of days, old Jeremy Cameron. And then rocking up to Mad Monday dressed up as a massive chicken or something. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely insane. Oh, yes, yes. I think think we probably do have to wrap up the AFL with what I think is still the story of it so far. Joel Selwood, 26 touches, ridiculous 40-meter checkside goal in his final game. Lots of signs that this was it for him. We both spoke about it during the week and said this is probably it. You could sort of see after he kicked that checkside goal, the reaction, yeah. putting his head in his hands, like that yep. that was it. So, and all the guys circling um, him. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So I, I guess my question to you, Nath, with no notice at all, he's had a ridiculous career. Is he the best player of our era? Oh, wow. Well, you'd have to shortlist him, wouldn't you? But, I mean, other guys come to mind. Gary Ablett Jr., of course, Wayne Carey, uh, guys – I mean, even Vossi and and some of those midfielders from the mid-90s as well. So, look, he'd be up there. He would. Yeah, I I don't know if he'd be top. 
if you put together the skills, the leadership, the durability, and the winning, I'm not sure is there probably isn't anyone who can top him at all four of them. Yes, I'm sure if you worked out some sort of system where you gave a number to certain things, he would probably come out on top because the winning is just remarkable. It really is. I do want to just give you a couple of swampy facts. It wouldn't be an AFL segment without swampy facts. Yes, so. indeed. And I have some too. I wouldn't be surprised if we have the same ones. So I might not need to give mine if you give them all. <laughs> so to explain, I guess, just how durable and how good Selwood's been, first stat, between 2007 and 2022, Selwood has 259 wins. No other team has more than 227. And in fact, only Hawthorne, Sydney and Collingwood have more than 200. So not only does he win a hell of a high percentage, but he really, really misses games. In fact, he only played less than 20 games in a season once. And for example, you go down the list. So Melbourne's on 133 wins, Gold Coast 69 wins, Geelong 24 without Selwood. It's yeah, it's fantastic, honestly. It just goes to show how good he's been. And also to talk about how high a percentage of the time he actually won when he played, round 23 of 2015 was the only game in his entire career he played, knowing that it was impossible for his team to win a premiership that season. Yeah, I saw that one too. That's just crazy. And the Cats won that game just for good measure, I guess. I'll add a couple of other things, Shui. He won a flag in his first and last season, which is pretty cool. Wouldn't be too many guys have done that. And most VFL, AFL seasons without ever having fewer than 10 wins in a year. So, for example, 28 players have done it once. Five players have done it six times. Joel Selwood, 16 times. The next best is Mark Blixarves and Martin Bolger on 10. Wow. That so, is yeah, it's incredible. Incredible career. Happy retirement. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Now, it looks like it's going to be a pretty big AFL trade season. We will get to that. We'll get to, obviously, a number of players retired in addition to Selwood. There's plenty of AFL we can talk about in the future. It's time to talk some ball, Shui. It's been a while, but it's time been to talk some basketball. Far too long. Far now, too long. Should we cover a bit of NBA first before we get into part one of our NBL preview? What do you reckon? Yeah, look, there's a little bit going on off the court. Yeah, there sure is. So I know what you're thinking of, but I don't know if you saw that the NBA has actually lowered the age back down to 18 for draft. I didn't see that, but I suppose at the end of the day, if teams are willing to take a punt on some of these younger guys, it's worked out pretty well for a few of them. I mean, Kobe Bryant did pretty well. Kevin Garnett had a pretty decent career. Moses Malone was one of the best to do it. So there have been you know, certainly a lot of misters, but there's also been a lot of pretty decent hits out of out of the high school and those sort of younger age players. I, well, I dare say for every hit, there's been several other misses. But how's this? Bronny turns 18 soon. Ooh, I wonder so, if yeah. the league maybe did that. <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> right. Okay. What a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I, I imagine the one you were thinking of was the Imiu Doka Boston Celtics saga. Yeah, pretty average sort of story coming out of Boston. If anyone somehow missed this, he's allegedly been caught having an affair with a staffer, which is a violation of organizational guidelines with the Celtics, being hit with a ban for the entire 22-23 season. I guess the, the tricky thing for this is that the information surrounding the whole thing has been really cloudy. Like first off, it was this whole, oh, this was consensual. And now there's kind of talk coming out that maybe it might not have been quite as consensual as once was thought. So I don't know. What have you made of this? Yeah, look, when it first came out, we we're all scratching our heads, weren't we? And we're thinking, oh, either this is ridiculously heavy handed or there's more than meets the eye. And I dare say that it was probably the latter. 
Yeah, look, it certainly appears that way. And and yeah, as you say, when we both thought it was consensual, it, it was like, what are they doing? I mean, there's been so much more that's happened that has resulted in a, a much smaller penalty. I mean, if you go back to the Malice in the Palace, those guys didn't even get full seasons. They sort of got decent chunks of a season, but not the full thing. And we're all thinking, well, his fiance is going to punish him probably more than the league can. So I don't know what they need to be doing all this for. But then there's all this talk now. And, and I guess the, the tricky part is that it, it's been sort of said that there were unwanted comments. There could potentially be more that we don't know about. And, and you kind of start saying to yourself, well, if there's some part of this relationship that was outside of the lines of consent, is there a world where he doesn't coach with the Celtics again? Does it depend on the level if it's just unwanted comments? Yeah, I guess one point of distinguishing there, of course, is that the league gave out the suspension for malice in the palace, whereas this is a team punishment rather than a league punishment. But, uh, but I see your point. I think I think you're right. It's interesting as well. I don't know if you heard that Shaq has basically said that he won't comment on the issue because he was a serial cheater when he was a player. So oh, he doesn't wow. want to be, a, yeah, he doesn't want to be a hypocrite. Apparently, it was reported. Uh, I, I read it on news.com.au today in my lunch break. I think he said it on some podcast or something. So I don't think it was his. Wow. I think it might have been someone else's. Oh, well, look, fair play to him. I guess the other question I have for you, though, Nath, is this. So they've suspended Yudoka. It's clear that they're putting the club's image and their morals ahead of winning when you consider, I guess, the fact that Yudoka took them to the finals, what, three months ago? Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> They're coming off a pretty good season. They are. So I guess, do you think it's more important to be seen this way, especially when you consider, I guess, today's society? Again, I can't help but think there's more than meets the eye because I think if it was as simple as just a, a just inverted commas, an affair, I don't know. It, it does feel very heavy handed. But even consent is an interesting thing, isn't it? Because a coach is pretty high up in the organisation and so they could be seen to be wielding undue influence and power over employees below them. So even if someone does consent, is it full consent? You know, there's all these sort of issues as well. And I'm just speculating, of course, I, I don't know. But I, I wonder if that plays a part here too. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, this staff are apparently organised for Yudoka's fiance to actually come to Boston. Like she was part of all of the, the travel arrangements and all of that sort of stuff. So it's uh, oh, it's messy. It's obviously horrible timing so close to, I guess, when training camps and start of the season is only, what, four weeks away. Oh, not good for the Boston Celtics. Not good at all. Less than four weeks away, actually. We'll have to do an NBA preview soon enough. Oh, Jesus, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing, I guess, Joey, we haven't actually talked about the Donovan Mitchell trade yet. I think we probably have to discuss that briefly. Yeah, it's a, a real doozy, this one. So Cleveland gets Donovan Mitchell, Utah gets Laurie Markinen, Ochai Agbaji, Colin Sexton, three unprotected first-round picks, 25, 27, and 29, and two pick swaps in 26 and 28. What are your thoughts on this? Oh, I keep going back and forward on this one. I think I don't think the picks will be very good because I think Cleveland will be quite a good team. They're building a really good young core over there, and who knows, like, LeBron might even go back and finish his career there too. And we know that he seems to be, <laughs> he just never sees any sign of, of slowing down. So I don't think those picks will be that great. It, it still feels like a bit of a haul given Mitchell's defensive de deficiencies, but I think, I think it probably is a good deal. And I think Cleveland might be a bit of a team to, to reckon with. And, and with the issues in Boston and all the dramas in New Jersey and, 
who knows? Cleveland could rise pretty quick. Yeah, it's very, very possible. I mean, you're right. Like there is obviously there's still teams that are ahead of them, but you're right with all of the the BS that's happening around players like Ben Simmons, players like James Harden. I mean, the stuff in Miami, like Miami's going to be a good team, but yeah, there's all sorts of things we can get into. But anyway, we'll, we'll worry about all that in a few weeks' time. I personally, I love and hate this trade for Cleveland, and I I love it for Utah as well in terms of what they get back. So you've already mentioned, I guess, the knocks with Donovan Mitchell are around the fact that he's not an amazing defender. He's a little bit short for a two-guard. He's a guy who probably takes too many threes considering the percentages that he shoots. But like in Utah, he's going to have an elite rim protector behind him in Jarrett Allen. Evan Mobley looks pretty decent in that uh, that same sort of oh, vein as well. Evan Mobley's going to be a top five player before we know it. It looks every bit that way. And I guess he's getting to pair up with this top tier guard in Darius Garland, who was an all-star last year. So it, it would be interesting to see if maybe his shot volume drops a little bit and his assist levels go up as he starts trying to facilitate a little bit better. It, yeah, maybe doesn't make them a championship contender right now, but you just never know. What I don't really get about this, though, in terms of Cleveland is the timeline. So if you look at the the team that they've got, they've got a bunch of older guys like Ricky Rubio and Kevin Love and Robin Lopez. And then they've got these really young guys like Garland and Mobley, Isaac Okoro, Luke Travers. We'll throw him in there. Why not? Yeah. But then, but then most of the guys in the middle in terms of the age are guys that aren't really going to be heavily in the rotation. So guys like Dean Wade and Dylan Weindler and, you know, Dia Kite, all those sorts of guys. Like they've got Karis Levert and Teddy Osmond as well. But I don't know. I just find it kind of interesting that there may be more to it in terms of Colin Sexton maybe just not being a very good fit in terms of the locker room. The the one thing I did want to just quickly address though that you did mention regarding the picks, it's very interesting about sort of looking at where those picks will be. And so like I've sort of looked at it and always said, obviously you want to be as, as high up in the lottery as you can. But if you look at the last three drafts, Jordan Poole went 28th, Desmond Bain went 30th and Cam Thomas went 27th. So if you do your recruiting well and you, you really sort of scout these guys properly, you can still get really good quality lower in those, those sort of first rounds. And, you know, who knows? Utah might be able to do something decent with them. They might be able to package them and turn them into better players. So you just never know. This, this could actually work out to be a win for both teams. No, it probably is. I think it probably is a win-win trade. And, and Utah are building their own little OKC Thunder stockpile of picks there too. So yeah, my my knocks on Laurie Markinen are pretty well. <laughs> I've been pretty consistent ringing that bell throughout the whole time we've done the podcast. I'm not a massive fan of his, but but no, I do think it probably is a good trade for both teams. You're probably right. And Markinen was good last year. Yeah, no credit where credit's due. He had a couple of really good games in the playoffs. I do think he's a bit soft, but he's a big that can shoot threes, and that's the way the league's going. So he could still have a very very good career. So random stat because we haven't had a random stat in a while. Portland Trailblazers head coach Chauncey Billups had his 46th birthday on Sunday. Billups is the only player in NBA history with a winning record against Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, and LeBron James for regular season and playoffs. Thank you to NBA Buzz on Facebook for that. But he also has a winning record against, get this, Shaquille O'Neal, John Stockton, Carl Malone, Dirk Nowitzki, Paul Pierce, Chris Webber, Gary Payton, Tracy McGrady, Vince Carter, Allen Iverson, Pau Gasol, Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Dwight Howard, James Harden, Carmelo Anthony, and Steph Curry. What it's an insane list. Oh, it really is. It Incredible. It really, really is. 
And then just one little Twitter thing to take us out of the NBA. Do you see that Anthony Davis told ESPN he plans to have, quote, a chip on his shoulder this season, channeling the same approach he brought to LA in 2019-20. And it did not take long for Kirk Henderson at Kirk Serious Face to tweet, report Anthony Davis to miss four to six weeks with chip on shoulder. (laughs) I did see that one on Twitter as well, and it gave me a good laugh. No word of a lie, mate. I read that quite late at night. And when I first read the the report without the joke, I actually initially thought that, oh God, he's got a he's got a shoulder injury. <laughs> I did the same thing. I shit you not. I actually looked, I, I saw Anthony Davis four to six and I was like, oh no, what's he yeah. doing? So we had the same <laughs> the same oh, response. Oh, made a glass. So Stewie, after going pretty hard with the NBL and basketball in episodes 99 through 108, we haven't discussed basketball as much lately for obvious reasons, have we? But with the tip-off fast approaching, indeed we may release this episode on the doorstep of round number one in the wee hours of Saturday morning, it's time to talk some NBL. But before we get there, we've got to acknowledge the great work of the Opals in the FIBA Women's Basketball World Cup. Yeah, I mean, with the obvious exception being the opening game against France, they were a little bit rusty coming into the tournament. Well, they still topped the group. They did, yeah. That's very, very true. Probably did it the hard way. Kind of relied on a result with Serbia knocking true. France off. But true. look, they've played. They've played well. They're certainly, you know, moving into their work quite well. They've had a, a really good result against uh, Belgium, beating them by seventeen just before we hit record. So, yeah, China in the semi-final tomorrow, and hopefully, fingers crossed, a gold medal game against America. Uh, we'll maybe talk about the the tournament a little bit more in its totality. But I, I guess the obvious question is, can anyone beat America? Oh, it's hard to say, isn't it? Yeah, I think, yeah. <laughs> I'll be surprised, put it that way. Mm, me, me too. But we've got to move into part one of our preview of the NBL season, Stewie. The salary cap has gone up. There are a number of old faces in new places. I'm looking at you, Adelaide. There's been some rule changes. We'll get to that in a sec. And as always... There's plenty of ins and outs because let's face it, the transient nature of our league means there's a lot most seasons. Well, let's take a quick second, Nate, because there have been three new rules. And usually when we talk about new rules, the first thing you and I do is poo-poo the lot of them. (laughs) It's funny because it's true. I don't think it's going to be the case this time. Yeah, look, I'm not not outraged about these ones. Well, let's quickly run through the three of them. So first rule, if a defensive player tries to take a charge with their foot in the restricted zone, it will now be a block instead of a no call. This is negated if the player goes up vertically. Yeah, I'm fine with that. I I do worry sometimes that games become foul shooting contests, but you've got to reward the offensive player. Yeah, I'm absolutely in agreement with that. You've got to protect the offensive player on plays like these. There should be a penalty if you get it wrong as a defensive player. And quite frankly, yeah, they, they know where that block charge sort of circle is. And if, if you're not outside it, then, you know, you should be giving up free throws. Second one, in the last two minutes of games, a foul away from the ball will now be a one-shot plus the ball instead of an unsportsmanlike foul. Yes, I like that, definitely. We've we've always been critical of the unsportsmanlike maybe being overused in the NBL. So hopefully this is an improvement there. Yeah, I think it's a pretty fair penalty. Sometimes those off-the-ball fouls aren't even intentional, so you just got to uh, roll with the punches. I, I do like the idea of moving away from as many of these unsportsman likes as possible. Immediately when I saw that, I, I smiled and thought, Nathan will be happy with that. Yeah, it's a happy medium, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And the third one, in the last two minutes of games, when a goaltend or basket interference is reviewed and overturned and no team has gained, quote, immediate and clear control of the ball, a jump ball will be called instead of the possession arrow. 
Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Why they're trying to bring back the jump ball in a weird way? <laughs> I don't know. Good. Yeah, I mean, we don't love the possession arrow, do we? So it's interesting in that sense. But I, look, I can't imagine it will happen a hell of a lot of times during the season. No, but look, it's one of these, I guess, rare opportunities that they'll get now to have that jump ball and, and it gives them that chance to play any of the classical jump ball songs. <laughs> what, what's your preference on that? I, I I think I know what it'll be, but what is your preference? Oh, it, it's hard to go past the Van Halen, I think. Yeah. I just, I knew it. I was like, it'll go the rock and roll one. I guarantee it. Well, I, yeah, I didn't even like the crisscross one as a kid. So I definitely not going to like it knocking on the door of 40, to be honest. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah. Wow. I've, I've okay. always been rock and roll and metal always. Yeah. Yeah, but even so, I mean, that that's like, that's our youth. So I'm surprised by that. Well, there you go. I, I personally, I'd go jump around by House of Pain, but it's, uh, yeah, look, any of those would work. Oh, yeah, actually, I don't mind that one. I was thinking of crisscross, but yeah, yeah, no, no, House of Pain, that's, that is a good one. Yeah. Tackling the hard to- topics, sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Got to ask the hard question. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see how those go. I think, as as we've said, that, that they're probably common sense changes. So hopefully they'll eventuate that way. So we won't go through all of the ins and outs, but we've had some big names leave our shores. Delhi and Jack White are off to the NBA, for example, while United are no longer have the services of Joe Luala Chul. Here in Perth, we've lost Vic Law. As far as local players are concerned, guys like Finn Delaney have also left. Juop Wraith won't be coming back. But of course, the MVP, Jalen Adams, <laughs> will leave a pretty big hole in Sydney. As will Ian Clark and Jarrell Martin as well. So a lot of players have left. We've also had some coach turnover too. Few will be shedding too many tears with the departures of Dan Shamir and Koskomo on either side of the competition geographically. But the departure of Brian Gorgian always leaves a massive gap. And it leaves a really big gap in the Illawarra region. Yeah, very true. But obviously a great opportunity for Jacob Jacomis to step up and take his shot. So... Look, the the uh, the world never stops turning. Got to eventually deal with change, unfortunately, as much as you and I don't particularly love it. Now, speaking of change, Chewy, if this doesn't explain the itinerant nature of our league, I don't know what does. Adelaide, Brisbane, Melbourne, New Zealand, Southeast Melbourne and Sydney all have three brand new imports on their team, while Cairns, Illawarra, Perth and Tassie will be hoping their two new imports did better than their respective combinations last year. Now... In case you're not keeping track, I've just named every team in the league. So, yes, only three imports remain from last season, and one of them's rumoured to get citizenship soon. That's utterly insane. It really is. I didn't realise it was that much until I actually looked at all the lists. Hey? Oh, honestly, yeah, you're right, though. Like, every team. And, yeah, look, if Bryce gets his citizenship like he's rumoured, it does leave a very interesting question for the Wildcats, which we will get to on the next episode. Yes, indeed we will. Now, of course, you've got to fill all those gaps. So we do have some pretty big ins too, of course, in ex-NBA talent in Aaron Baines, Tyler Johnson, Derek Walton Jr., Ray John Tucker, the self-confessed best import in the league. We'll see if that's actually true. Alan Williams and Mangon Mathiang, though admittedly the last time he was in the NBA was 2018. But in addition to that, there's some players with some serious European experience as well. So I'm optimistic that a lot of the new names in the league will, at least half of them, will do some good things. Oh, look, it's hard to argue. I mean, at this stage, it is tricky because... I guess we've all seen a lot of highlights. We've seen things from up in Darwin at the Blitz, which can just be an absolute crapshoot. So, yeah, look, we'll uh, we'll do the best we can. 
And then, of course, there's the bloody play-in, which we don't particularly like, and we won't go over that again. But if you do want to hear our thoughts on that, please check out episode 113. We gave a good half hour to the play-in, the Christmas Day game, the open-air game. But as we do say in more detail, let's just hope the play-in is more like how it would have gone last season when the sixth-place team finished 15-13 and 13, rather than the 2017-18 season when it was the 12-16 and 16 Illawarra Hawks sparring with the world-beating 11-17 and 17 Cairns Taipans. Oof, what a, uh, what a spectacle that would have been. But yeah, we, as we said, we went really hard on the NBL from that range from 98 through about 108. We had Alex Loughton being really frank, gave some really interesting thoughts. Brad Rosen, Peter Hawley, NBA draft special. There's plenty of stuff there. So if you haven't checked it out already, please do. Let's start looking at some of the teams in the league. Now, we were also going to look at risers and fallers, but I dare say it's pretty obvious, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, Adelaide certainly look a shit ton better than they did last season. And Illawarra, unfortunately, probably look a shit ton worse than they did. I would agree with that. And in addition to that, you could probably argue that Tassie will fall a little bit and Brisbane should rise a fair bit too. Yeah. Yep. Don't disagree at all. So we thought we'd go through the teams in reverse order and we'll do a handful today and then we'll do the rest on the next episode. Obviously, unfortunately, in the next episode, round one would have already happened. It's It's a bit of a blessing and a curse, I guess. Unfortunately, We've had illnesses in both our households, work's been crazy. There's a number of reasons why we couldn't get to recording till today. So it's a bit of a shame that we can't do the whole preview in one episode. But on the other hand, when we do get back together to do the next one, we would have at least had a chance to see some of these teams and some of these imports in action. As you said, the blitz, anything can happen. Often guys get rested. Often guys don't get played for very long. So we'll have a much better idea of some things after this weekend too, I think. And look, the bottom line is if we're looking for a scapegoat, I'll be the guy. My fault. <laughs> nah, don't go that. Don't be silly. <laughs> anyway, so basically what we decided we'd do is we'd look at all of the teams. We'll talk about a player that we're most looking forward to. And then we either have a burning question or a bold prediction for each team. So let's go in reverse order. We'll start with the New Zealand Breakers. Last season, they finished in 10th place with a record of 5-23. and 23. They actually had two blokes drafted to the NBA and still finished with that record. But of course, they haven't played at home for two seasons. So, yeah. Some lane times, but hopefully they're on the up. Yeah, look, I mean, they'll be better than last season. I don't think that'd be particularly difficult. So it's it's really hard to know what this New Zealand team's going to be. I mean, I like some of their pickups. I like Tom Vodanovic. I think he was a really underappreciated member of that King side that won oh, the yeah. championship last season. Definitely. Isaiah Liafa being at home could be in for a big year as well. He's sort of been playing away from home for quite a while, but certainly being a, a New Zealander, it'd be good for him to be getting back in front of, I guess, some home fans. I guess the the big issue for me is not really knowing what we're going to get out of a couple of their imports. Uh, I don't know. Have you had a chance to have a look at them much? Not a hell of a lot. Obviously, they've they've decided to go with two bigs in Pardon and Brantley. Barry Brown Jr., there's a bit of buzz about him. Hopefully, he could be pretty decent, but you seem to think that he might be a bit of a ball stopper. I'm a, a little bit worried about that. He he looks like a high-volume scorer, but yeah, definitely seems like he calls his own number quite a lot. I've seen a number of highlight reels, and again, it's very, very hard to know because we're not seeing the entirety of these games, but... The assist numbers are maybe not quite as high as you would hope for. Definitely, he's a guy who's a a shoot-first sort of guy. So I'm kind of, I don't know, I'm not really sure about this guy. Look, he could come in and absolutely light it up in the NBL. You just never know. 
And he'll slide in in the shooting guard position with Will McDowell-White and, as you said, Liafa probably taking most of the point guard responsibilities. Which player are you most excited to see on this team, Stewie? Oh, Will McDowell-White for sure. I, I think this is going to be a really, really interesting season for him. He has basically, as we've all heard, been given the keys to the entire team, which it's always interesting when you see an Australian player being given those keys. You've got all of these imports coming in, making a lot of money, and McDowell-White is that guy so yeah it's hard to argue with him being probably the most uh, the most interesting i would also say though that derek pardon interests me for a different reason his name he's this well well yes that too i mean there's obviously a ton of puns that you can make with that new zealand and, uh, always seem to have good pun players don't they they do yeah they do that's a good point actually but he's this really sort of good skilled strong big man really decent touch with a left-hand hook what worries me, though, is how he's going to adapt to the, the league in terms of the foul trouble. He's a really physical guy. He almost looks a little bit like a Quincy Acey sort of guy in terms of someone who, at the drop of a hat, could just lose his shit and start throwing punches. <laughs> uh, indeed. How about yourself? Who, who have you got your eye on? Well, it's hard to look past Ryan Repair, isn't it? The next star, the only next star in the league, actually. Uh, what is it with this pipeline to France that New Zealand seem to have? There's talk that he may even be better than Dieng. And as we know, he was drafted quite highly by your OKC Thunder. So so a lot to look forward to there for the Breakers, I think. I've got him as Usman Dieng 2.0, funnily enough. Yeah, well, as I say, Dieng might be repair 2.0 based on what some people are saying. So there's a lot of buzz about this guy. It's possible. I mean, he's long, he's raw, shoots a horrible clip just like Jiang did when he came over as well. But he's one of these guys, it just feels like he's going to have some pretty good games dispersed with the not-so-good ones. But the, the potential alone is what's going to get him drafted. He's currently projected at 36 with the ESPN mock draft. So, yeah, there's obviously a lot of hype around him. And will he go as high as Jiang? I'm not sure. But, look, as you say, they they draft a lot on potential and we'll, we'll certainly see what uh, what happens. Now, I don't know if you have a bold prediction or a burning question, Stewie, but I had a burning question for this team. How big of a setback is the Abercrombie injury and will it affect where they finish? Look, it's obviously big in terms of what they're wanting to do. I mean, I know Abercrombie's, what is he, like 75 now? Like we, <laughs> we always talk about just it seems as though he's been in the league forever and a day. It really does. But he's still a very, very high-skilled player. He's still a really good defensive player. Is it going to impact how high they finish on the ladder? I'm not really sure it will because I still think they're going to be fairly low. I, I expect them to be around that sort of seven or eight. I don't think him playing is going to be enough to bring them close to the playoffs. But, I mean, every season we say these things about teams and they turn around and end up being the best team in the league. So it's hard to know. <laughs> it's a fool's errand predicting the NBL, especially with the player turnover, that, as I discussed at the top there. What's, what's your burning question of our prediction? I've got a burning question for you, Nath. How the fuck did the person doing the fixtures not give New Zealand a home game in round one? Yeah, it's rough, isn't it? Really isn't rough. Isn't that a trap? That's a it travesty. Is. It is. It really is. I agree. Like, just this is like one more little sort of poke in the side to go, hey, hey, you're still away from home. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> just just give them, give them like a two or three game homestand just to start things off. Come on. Oh, rough. Next, we have the Cairns Taipans. Last season, they finished in ninth place on 9 and 19. What are your initial thoughts on them? Well, I actually want to throw back to you, Nath. Do you buy into this team at all? I think that they'll have a lot of heart. 
And I do like Adam Ford as a coach, and he seems to get guys to play and compete all the time. I, I saw on the NBL Pocket podcast one of one of their tweets. I think their over under was seven, which it feels bloody low, doesn't it? That's a bit of a slap in the face. Yeah, like when when you're getting fourteen home games, oh seven, it feels very low, very low. Hmm. But I guess uh, to answer your question, Stewie, I'll go straight ahead to my bold prediction: Tajir McCall will win the MVP. Okay. Okay. That's that's interesting. That is a really, really interesting bold prediction. I I think he's going to be a, an incredible player again, like he was last season. But what makes you say that? I'm actually I'm interested in that because I don't know if he was necessarily in the running at all last year. I'm not sure where he would have finished in MVP voting, but yeah, it's a, it's a big call. Yeah, I guess the reason. Oh, look, I've I've certainly asked more burning questions than bold predictions. That's partly why. So I knew I needed at least a couple <laughs> of bold predictions. But I really like him. He's he stuffs the stat sheet. He's a very good leader. From all reports, he's been having guys doing extra workouts, extra training sessions. Adam Ford singing his praises. So I really think he'll run the team well. They're going to need him to play really well to have any chance of being in games. So I think he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. So I think. And plus, I think that they might surprise a few teams. So he would be the main reason for that. So that that's why I kind of went out on a limb on that one. I know there's a lot of buzz for Bryce Cotton, for example. There's many, many good players in our league. There's every reason to believe that Xavier Cooks is going to have another really good season, for example. But yeah, I just thought I'd go out on a limb and, and throw that one out there. Interesting. I mean, I guess for me, I kind of worry that maybe they, like they're not going to finish under seven and a half, I don't think. But I'm just not sure they're going to win enough games for him. It's it's kind of different to the Brownlow where you can sort of win it being a pretty average team. But generally, these MVPs are going to be from successful teams. And I guess what worries me a little bit about Cairns is just they're going to rely a lot on outside shooting. And look, last season, they weren't an amazing outside shooting team. In fact, I, funnily enough, I heard on the Pocket Podcast, they were saying it was the worst three-point shooting season in the entire history of the league, which... wow. Really, kind of make it makes sense when you think about it. Like it was a really bad shooting season, but when you consider that the vast majority of their players are going to be guys like Mirko Jerich and Bull Kowal and Jonah Antonio, Ben Eyre, you know, guys that are going to be off the ball, they're just relying on these guys to be shooting high thirties, low forties, and if if they don't, they're a really short team, so they're not going to be getting a ton of offensive boards. It's basically sort of Keanu Pinder and maybe Sam Wardenberg sort of in there fighting, DJ Hogg to an extent as well. I don't know. I worry about Shannon Scott as well. I think, you know, his lack of offensive production, yes, okay, he's in there to be a facilitator. But, you know, we've just spoken about how much Tajima McCall is going to have the ball in his hand. And I just, I don't know. I'm just, I'm not sold on this team just yet. I'm really not. Oh, that's fair enough. I don't think that they'll be a playoff team. Maybe scrape in sixth for a play-in. But it's interesting just to jump on a couple of things there. So apparently it's pronounced Hogue, even though it's spelt Hog. I guess we'll find that out soon enough. I've heard them say Hogue a few times. Yeah. But Sam Wardenberg, as you mentioned, he is my player I'm most looking forward to see. I don't know if you had him as well. Absolutely, I did, yeah. My bold prediction is not so bold. I think that they will be threatening for the bottom. I think they'll probably be sort of eighth or ninth. But yeah, I I just I can't see them threatening for a play-in. I really can't. I don't think that is too bold, Shui. No, it's it's not. <laughs> Next, we have the other Queensland team, Brisbane. Last season, eighth place, 10 and 18. As I mentioned, Aaron Baines is top of the list of the arrivals for them. What are your thoughts on the Bullets? 
this team to me feels like it has the biggest gap between their potential floor and potential ceiling. I don't know. Do you feel the same with that? I think that's fair. Yeah, I do. For a number of reasons, yeah. including the fact that they still don't have a pure point guard. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, it's it's crazy. I, I think to me, the way that Brisbane finish up comes down to how many games they get out of Baines, Tyler Johnson and Nathan Sobey. And the reason I say that, Baines hasn't played professionally since the Olympics. He's missed 31, 40, and 29 games in his last three NBA seasons. Tyler Johnson hasn't played more than 44 games since the 2018-19 season. And Sobey's coming off a season where he played 12 games. So these guys have all had injury problems. It just it worries me that if one or two of those guys get injured, obviously they can fall off a cliff very, very quickly. And I might, I might piggyback on that, Stewie, with my burning question. Is Aaron Baines on a one-year rental like Delhi was, or worse, could we see him picked up in the NBA this season? I'll raise you. Baines and Johnson. Oh, is that your bold prediction? Well, my my bold prediction is that, yes, at least one of those two will end up back in the NBA. But, yeah, certainly my, my question going back to you is, like, is Baines and Johnson – like, do they both sort of fall into that same that same category? I mean, neither of them have performed amazingly sort of in the last few years. In fact, funnily enough, since both of them were at Phoenix. But if you look at the players that have made the jump to the NBA from the NBL in re- recent seasons, there's been a lot of really average guys. For every LaMelo Ball and Jock Landale and Jay Sean Tate, there's been the Dusty Hannas, the Didi Lazadas, <laughs> the Tory Craigs, RJ Hampton, Terrence Ferguson. I mean, even Matthew Dellavedova, he had a really meh season and... He's going back, and he's two years older than Tyler Johnson. I think Tory Craig went all right, but uh, but yeah, the others I agree with. Yeah, yeah. I, I just mean Tory Craig wasn't. I mean, he wasn't even amazing in the NBL. He was handy. He was, yeah, he was it's solid. interesting, isn't he was it? It's, it's about roles, isn't it? So it's it's mm. it's guys filling a niche. So if you can knock down a three like Dusty Hannah's, and you just sit in the corner all day, I mean, look, I'm not convinced that he'll be in the NBA very long. But hey, if he's knocking down those shots, who knows? So, Nath, I'll throw it to you then. Who's the player that you're looking forward to the most? Oh, it is Bainesy. It's hard not to love the guy. It's an amazing story. You could be forgiven for thinking he would never even play again. Obviously, he was on those Spurs teams for a while, so I have that affinity with him as well. But I just love the way he plays ball. And I think that if he does play ball well, you can never have too many good bigs, especially bigs with NBA Finals experience. I think there's a very good chance he could get snapped up if he plays well and stays healthy. What about yourself? Well, I've actually got a couple. So Devondrick Walker, I mean, as a, a guy over here in WA, he's the guy that we've all sort of been looking at. Absolute walking bucket for Rockingham in the NBL 1. 27 points a game at 50%. That's the big thing. His shooting percentage has been exceptional. And I, I guess when you look at the secondary guys for Brisbane, guys like Rasmus Bark, who didn't really do much for New Zealand. Harry Froling played like 45 seconds for the Hawks. Tanner Krebs was disappointing. It's guys like Devondrick Walker that are really going to provide that secondary sort of offense when guys like Baines, Johnson, Sobey are maybe not quite doing it. The other guy, though, is uh, it's the stat man, Cody Statman. He <laughs> looks he looks really good. He's got a bit of a, a Luke Travis sort of vibe to him. That 6'7", plays the passing lanes really well, runs the floor, finishes through contact, and I guess could potentially add some really good punch off a fairly average-looking bench for Brisbane. Tanner Krebs is in the... Leadership group, actually. So that's yeah, interesting. Look, yeah, I guess they've got to give him some kind of role, don't they? Well, from all accounts, he looked pretty good in the off-season. So he he might improve. He might improve. He looked really good in college as well, but he was disappointing last season. Yeah. So. 
And then finally for today, Stewie, the Adelaide 36ers last season, seventh place, 10 and 18. But boy, oh boy, did they recruit well. Yeah, geez, it's kind of hard not to buy into the hype and really drink the Kool-Aid, isn't it? Well, I'm a big, big fan of Antonius Cleveland and Robert Franks was one of my favourite imports last season too. So I'm really happy with what they've done. I, I like CJ too. So yeah, it's it's a good it's a good team on paper. Uh, look, obviously the guys you mentioned, Franks and Cleveland, massive upgrades on Dusty Hannes and Todd Withers. Do you know, Withers was so bad, I'd actually shift deleted him from my mind. I had to look his name up. <laughs> like I legitimately, I'm sitting there, I'm like, who was the other import that was shit? And it was with us. There you go. But yeah, they're they're just one of these teams. Uh, you know, everyone's saying it. They they look stacked in every possible position. They've got a whole bunch of different ways that they can play the game. Craig Randall looks really good in the blitz. So it's it's sort of that third option they've got there. Drimmick coming back is massive. There's talk from Antonius Cleveland that Nick Marshall might be the best DP the league's ever seen. Yeah, I saw that one too. I, th- I think the biggest thing, though, is that they need to play defense and they need to play defense holistically. Like, they're going to get defense from Cleveland. They're going to get it from Sunday Detch. They're going to get it from Mitch McCarron. They're not going to get it from Daniel Johnson, though. And to a lesser extent, Franks was pretty average defensively as well. So this is, I guess, where Adelaide kind of makes or breaks their season. You know, if the whole team sort of buys in and plays defense, then they're going to be impossible to beat. Like they're going to score points. They're going to get buckets. No two ways about it, but oh, defensively that that's where I kind of worry if they can get in, if teams can get inside against these guys, it's going to be tough. Yeah. I think on the perimeter, they're going to be absolute beasts, but yeah, you're right in the, in the front court there on the defensive end, it might be a bit of a problem. Here's my burning question, Stewie. And it's with, the chat we had with Peter Hawley in episode 104 in mind. Again, go back and listen to it if you haven't already, because it was really interesting what he talked about when he talked about his experience in the NBL NBA. How long will it take to get chemistry right to challenge for the championship? And will this trip to the States bind them together? Or is it just going to be more growing pains and then they have to come back and start playing in the NBL from what, round three or four? I actually think they're going to have chemistry pretty much already sorted out. I mean, you, from what little I saw of the Blitz, they looked like the one team that was really going for it, that was really trying to establish a little bit of an identity right from the start. And look, it's good to see. Will it translate into wins? It's hard to know. But yeah, look, they, they were the one team that really sort of pushed harder than ever. And yeah, I mean, going to America, obviously it's a long trip. It's hard to know what that does to the team physically, but mentally they're going to be together as one really big group and they're going across to win games. Uh, I think there's every chance that they potentially catch OKC because injuries and all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I, I think to answer your question, I, I think chemistry is not going to be a huge issue. Certainly not at the moment anyway. Uh, if we get two-thirds of the way through the season, then we'll see. I actually tend to agree with you. It's clear that Cleveland and Franks are good mates. I would just be worried if I'm an Adelaide fan that they play too well in those games and that the NBA scouts start picking at the imports before they even get to play a game in the NBL for the Sixers. But we'll see. That's a good point. Good point. So I guess who are you looking forward to the most in this team? I've got to say Kai Soto. He unfortunately declared for the draft when he shouldn't, but I think that he will get some opportunity. I assume that he would have improved a bit. So I, I still think he is a fringe NBA prospect. And I'd like to see I'd like to see more of him, and I think he's got a shot. What do you reckon? I actually want to pose a question to you off the back of that, funnily enough, and it was something that I heard Peter Hooley mention on Overtime. 
it's this notion of potentially switching Soto for Daniel Johnson, have Johnson on the bench with the second group and have Soto start. Oh, I like what are your it. thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I like it. I like it. If he plays good D, why not? Give it a shot. And that's that's such a key point. So Soto being such a long guy and quite mobile as well, he's going to block shots. But all he needs to do with that first unit is catch lobs and block shots. Like that's that'll be his entire role. Whereas Johnson's going to absolutely abuse any backup center in this league. And you've got Sunday Detch who played a fair bit with Johnson last season. So I think that works really, really well. So that's it for part one. We'll look at the other six teams next week. And of course, there will be six teams vying for the playoffs. So it seems like a right time to rule the line under it. But geez, I'm excited, Shuey, aren't you? Oh, look, it's a, a really great time. Pretty much the, for me, the start of the NBL and the NBA season. That's the, the most wonderful time of the year for me. All right, Stewie, you know what that music means. Final thoughts time. Well, we're at that really interesting point of the year. The AFL season is officially done and dusted. The NBL season is right on the horizon. Some really, really interesting movers and shakers in the NBL. I, I cannot wait to throw that ball up and let the, the chips fall where they may. No? What, what are you excited about? Well, as you mentioned at the top there, Stewie, on the back of the Swans' disappointment, I'm ready to wash that away and start to follow the Wildcats. Looking forward to that first game against Brisbane. Looking forward to our next preview episode too. And we'll maybe look at Peter Hawley's top 20 players too. Until next time, I'm Nate. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.